0: My name is John, and I have a great privilege of being one of the pastors at Reality Church. Thanks so much for joining us on either on the website or listening through our podcast. We're really grateful to have you listening along. If you've been following along with us in the past couple months, you'll know that we've had some issues with our recording technology, and unfortunately, our sermon from this Sunday, May 15th, also did not get recorded. But we're starting a new series, and we're in the letter to the Galatians, and we're talking about this new direction and new idea that's really important for the future of our church, which is being centered on Jesus or being a centered church. And so as this is the first teaching in this series, and it involves a lot of the main or anchor ideas that we're going to be talking about, not only through this series, but the things that I hope are going to become anchors and um, pillars and, and organize our church to, in the future. I wanted to re-record to make sure that we had this if you weren't there on Sunday or if you just need to go back to it for your reference. So I started this sermon uh, by actually doing an object lesson. So I'm going to try to recreate that for you just through words uh, as we talk through it right now. So I invited a bunch of friends to come up with me to the front of the church as I started the teaching. And we put a piano to one side of the church. And all of us that were up there had a relationship to the piano. Some of us are very new at playing the piano. Some of us don't play piano at all. Some of us used to play piano and some of us are uh, professional piano players. And and so we have all these different relationships. Now, one of the ways we can figure out or, or define the relationships that we have with the piano is by asking a bounded set question. And this these kinds of questions create lines for who's in and who's out. So I joked that the prestigious international piano board at Reality Church has made a declaration about the boundaries of, of where of who is a true piano player and who isn't and I put a piece of music up on the screen music box dancer you may be familiar with this song it's it's really famous uh, you can you, you know look it up on YouTube and I'm sure after the first few bars you'll be able to t- remember this song and I asked two questions in reference to this music the first is this could you now or could you at one point in time have played this song on the piano? The second question is can you tell me what key This is written in, and could you transpose it into another key? Now, there's one person in our group who doesn't play piano, has never played piano, so he was out. He couldn't do it. There was a couple people who are newer piano players. They're just trying to get involved with, uh, you know, they're starting out on their piano playing journey, but they couldn't play that song, and they definitely couldn't transpose it into another key. And then we had a woman in our community who is a professional piano player, so she actually played the song for us, and then she told us that it's in the key of C, and she absolutely could transposed so she was in and then there's me so i i took piano as a as a young kid and i played this song in a royal conservatory recital and uh so i could at one point play this song and i did take music theory um which you know surprising to everybody that a child the child of a a, an asian immigrant learned how to play piano as, as a child but um so I could also transpose this into another key. It was written in C, I can transpose it into another C. Now, it's really important to notice, I can't play this song now, but I could at one point in time, but, but because of the way that the rules were set up or the boundaries that were set, I am in. I'm in the group, even though I couldn't play this song right now. So the point of this exercise is to say, so we have people now that are inside the group and people who are outside, is that as Christians, we do the same thing. We create boundaries to tell who's in and who's out. Now, our boundaries, I think, are usually made up of three different things. The first is a memorable experience. So we might ask someone when they were baptized. Many of you may have Bibles that, that indicate the date that you were baptized, and you could show us this is what happened and when it happened. We also uh, focus on praying a prayer. Uh, there's one, an author that I like, and he says, when Christians ask you if you're a Christian, they mean what date and time did you pray this prayer? So a memorable experience. The second thing we focus on is correct beliefs. So it could be a theos- theological system or a set of beliefs that we say these people are in and those are out. Churches do this through creating statements of faith. Correct beliefs are really important to our bounded sets. The third is is uniform behaviors. When I was in high school, you know, WWJD bracelets became a really big deal. They became a way of showcasing that you were a person who's in in the history of our church, an ESV study Bible was a type of Bible that showed that you were you know, a true believer, you're someone who is definitely in. Uh, people going to have different habits, like going to church every Sunday, and these are things that we think real Christians do. We can also say there's things that we don't do. I was at a conference last week, and one of the speakers said that they, they knew who wasn't a Christian because there's a saying in their community that we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with those who do. It's, it's a way of, of delineating those outside of the community. So memorable experiences, correct beliefs, and uniform behaviors are ways that we, as Christians and churches, draw boundaries. Now, there's good things about this approach, about boundary drawing. First of all, it's clear. We can really clearly know who's in and who's out, just like the rules that I created. Secondly, it's transferable. transferable excuse me. I could take the two questions that I ask about piano playing, and I could ask them to anyone, anywhere, and we could create a clear, distinguishable line of who's in and who's out. Thirdly, there's a, a ring of truth to this idea that uh, baptism, for example, is something that Jesus talks about and Paul talks about a lot. Having a, a good, a solid theology, a good working knowledge of, of Jesus and his story is really important. And having a Jesus-shaped lifestyle, all these things are all really important to the community of God and, and to, I think, what God is calling us to. But there's also negatives to bounded sets. The first is that it creates a, a, a situation of superiority and judgmentalism. Because for those on the inside, those who have passed the boundaries, it, cre- it can create a sense of pride. Which in my reading of the Bible is opposite of what, what God really cares about, which is humility. Secondly, it can create, encourage a sense of stagnation rather than growth. A sense of stagnation rather than growth and this is uh, epitomized by me in the analogy that i gave about piano playing i can't play this song now but i could at one point in time and so i'm in but really i'm not playing the song anymore i'm not interested in it anymore and it can create a sense of, of hypocrisy because i'm not moving in the direction of becoming a more of a piano player but i'm in the group the third is that the lines are arbitrary um, and it's prone to self-motivated actors. So when I created these lines, I conveniently created or chose a song that I could play. You know, there's like eight or ten songs that I can remember that I played. You know, there's a Music Box Dancer, Pink Panther, uh, Fur Elise, Chopsticks. These are the songs that I could play. But if we chose a different song, a much more difficult song, I would then be on the outs. But because I'm making the decision, I choose a song that I can play. I, I'm self-motivated to set the boundary so that I'm inside. And we can see this in the history now, if we talk about the church, that there's over 40,000 different denominations in our world, that people have chosen to draw the lines in very different places. And then finally, it excludes people. And, And in Vancouver, this might be one of the biggest problems that we have. We don't like people to be excluded. We have a huge value on inclusion. So in response to bounded set cultures and bounded set Christianity, what we can do is we can make the boundaries super low. So we can ask a question like this, have you ever touched piano before and if you did you're in fantastic and and i invited everybody to come up and just play middle c which is one of the the notes in the song music box dancer and and so as they pressed it i was like congratulations you've now played music box dancer and again in the church we can do this we set the bar super low there is a great video uh posted by babylon b where they interviewed elon musk and at the very end their babylon b is a christian satire organization at the end, they, they asked him a question. They said, would you do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior? And it was a joke because they know that Elon doesn't really mean it. Um, and they had a very interesting conversation. But they're saying it because they said, oh, if if we did this, it, it means something to us as Christians. And we would be hailed as superstars if we were the people who led Elon Musk to faith, uh, faith quote, quote unquote. And so we lower the bar quite low. And then we're also generally surprised and then we hear stats about like 80% of evangelicals doing horrible things and not having character and then we're surprised but it's because we've lowered the bar down all the way or the other option is to take away the boundary to say you know it really doesn't matter what you believe or who you believe in you do you you know in the analogy of the piano that you define piano however you want to define piano everyone has a music box dancer inside of them regardless of if they've played the piano or not and this is called a fuzzy set approach that we take all the boundaries away. Now there are pros to this approach. Everyone is included, which is a great thing in, in, in the context here in Vancouver. It's something we really value, but there's also cons to this approach. It feels very disingenuous. You know, there's a big difference uh, for on Sunday when, when it, we had this woman play music box dancer for us and everybody touching middle C. There's a huge difference between those two experiences. And also having a fuzzy set uh, mentality doesn't promote growth. When this woman played Music Box Dancer and she's played other songs for us before in our church, it, I love listening to her. And I'm always inspired and moved to want to play uh, music better. I kind of kick myself. I'm like, why did I quit? You know, I'd really love to be able to create something beautiful. And I'd love to join in with her in, in her playing. But when we, have, we take away the boundaries and we say everybody is a you know, music box dancer, everyone is a piano player, it doesn't promote the growth that would get us there. So that leads to a third way of determining our relationship to the piano, which, which is by answer, asking a centered set question. So what I did was I got everybody to line up in the group based on our piano playing abilities. So it is important, you know, our ability to play. But then I asked the question, are you growing in your love and your ability to play the piano? And if people were, I invited them to, to face towards the piano. And if not, I invited them to face away. So there's five of us up there. Three of, the, three of them turned towards the piano and two of us turned away. Because we're not interested in, in facing the piano, in, in learning and in, uh, creating more ability to play the piano. And so the idea is, even though there's some people who have less technical skill than me, and maybe net, less knowledge in me, about playing the piano, they're facing the right way. And I was facing as someone who hasn't played the piano in 10 years the wrong way. And that's a centered set idea, that talking about the piano, but also about church. How close or how far away we are from from piano or from God does matter. There's a real difference between those of us who have never played the piano before and this woman who is a professional piano player. We create much different music in the world. And that's a really important question. But the main question that we ask, we kind of pull that question into the background and we foreground a different question, which is which way are you going? Which direction are you headed? That's the nature of a centered set group. And that's what I think Paul and Jesus and our faith communities uh, should be focused on. So a couple notes. So that was the analogy I used and I gave a few notes. Here's a few notes about what abounded and fuzzy set churches are. First of all, Buzzy and Founded Set Churches are reactions against one another. Generally speaking, Christians take on a bounded set as a reaction to the relativism in our world. So we want to be able to tell who the real Christians are, and we perceive our world to be very fuzzy or or very murky on defining things. And so what we say is, let's nail this down. Let's at least be clear about this thing. And we become more bounded when we're afraid of being fuzzy. And that's true, I think, in in our church as well. As we move towards being centered, there's a great fear that we're just going to become fuzzy. So people will ask me or ask those in leadership, are we just becoming a liberal church? Because they're deeply afraid that we're not emphasizing boundaries anymore and therefore we're becoming fuzzy. And that's a reaction. Now, generally speaking, the opposite is also true, that Christians coming out of bounded churches have experienced hurt or being excluded or feeling judged or shamed or the hypocrisy that comes with people who are standing on the inside of leadership, standing on the inside of the group, but are, you know, not facing towards Jesus. And so people go to the opposite extreme. They still kind of want Jesus in their life, but their biggest motivator is now that they just aren't in a bounded set community. So they move to a fuzzy set. It's, it's a reaction against being in a bounded set community. But as one author, I read says, if the outcome from a bounded set church is bruised fruit, then the outcome from a fuzzy set church is no fruit. That we There's no sense of transformation in a fuzzy set group because you can't call people to anything. It's just you do you, you do whatever you want, everybody's okay. And as we'll see in the letter to the Galatians, there's no fruit of the spirit growth. There's no repentance. That we don't become new people we just end up kind of, especially in Vancouver, maybe becoming more and more woke, moving more and more away from Christianity. And there's nothing wrong with being, I don't want to equate those two things, there's nothing with being a woke person or being more, uh, you know, left on the political spectrum. It's just to say that you're not moving towards Jesus in this transformation that he's calling us to. It's just moving to something completely different. So that's the the first point. The second is this that bounded and fuzzy churches are actually on the same continuum. Both of them are obsessed with boundaries. One group just really wants to have boundaries, and the other group really doesn't want any boundaries at all. It's an obsession with boundaries. But it seems to me like Jesus doesn't fall in either of these camps. He continually, if you read about his ministry, he goes to people who are outside the boundaries people who are not the right gender or the right ethnicity or they're unclean. And he invites them in. And this is a direct challenge to bounded set religion. And so people can say, oh, this is fuzzy set. He's just allowing anybody in the group. But then look at what he says after he breaks down the boundaries. He'll say to people, go now and leave your life of sin. Or follow me or take on my yoke or produce much fruit. And so Jesus also isn't about a fuzzy set community. He's not about just come to me and then do you do you. He's about something completely different. So the nature that, or what we're trying to ask in this uh, series and what, who we're trying to become as a, as a church is trying to learn to become this, this group of people that follow Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to learn. How can we follow the way of Jesus? How can we be Jesus-centered? that's what this whole series is about. So in closing, I just want to take a look at the first few verses of Galatians that give us some clues, I think, about what it means to center our lives on Jesus. So our passage is from Galatians 1 verses 3 to 5. It reads, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I just want to walk through this passage with you in closing. The first word Paul uses is grace. Now this is a key term both for us and in the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. It starts with grace as we see here in the third verse. It ends with grace. The last letter, uh, the last sentence, sorry, has grace in it. But also it is infused throughout this letter. And it's going to be really important because people, Paul will say, have different definitions of what grace is. So he's inviting us to unpack this word, to look at what we mean by grace, and then to repackage it in a new way. So the one thing I want to add to uh, the package of what grace means, or what Paul means when he talks about grace, is that grace in, in the original language is very similar, or it's within the same word cloud as gift. That grace is as a gift. It's something that we receive. And Paul links this, this word grace with peace that we receive grace and peace. Now, peace also was a word that was hugely important at the time. Uh, You may have heard of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that under the leadership of Caesar Augustus, the world had experienced a certain kind of peace. By the empire of Rome and by their political and military military power, there was a sort of peace in the world. And Paul is riffing on that idea, but he's talking about a different kind of peace. Again, he's trying to ask us to unpack this word and then repackage it back up because the peace that Paul is talking about comes from a different story. There's echoes of this word shalom that we find in the very early parts of the Christian story, that it's not just the flourishing of people or a lack of conflict, but it's full world flourishing that Paul is talking about. This beautiful flourishing where God is in our midst and we're working alongside of him for the good of ourselves, the good of others, and the good of our world. So the shalom that Paul's talking about comes from a different story, but it also comes from a different source. It's not from the power of the Roman Empire, but Paul says through God in the person of Jesus. Now, what's the nature of this gift that produces peace in Jesus? How did it happen? Paul writes that he, he gave himself, that Jesus gave himself. Now, this should give bounded set people some pause because when God wants to reveal who he is, he doesn't give us a set of rules rules or a systematic theology textbook. Neither of those things are wrong. But when God wants to reveal himself, most clearly to us, he gives himself. And it's a different way of organizing ourselves in the world than putting up boundaries. It's a person. Jesus introduces himself as the way, the truth, and the life. That the truth is not a set of principles or a system, but the truth is a person. God gave himself. Paul continues that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Now, these are loaded terms that probably, if you spent any time in church, uh, get your spidey sense going for for boundary creation. You're like, oh, here we go, another set of boundaries. Because most of the time, Christians have talked about this passage in very individualistic ways. So they say something like, have you ever lied? Then you're a liar, which means that you're a sinner, and then you're going to hell And you need Jesus to save you so that you can go to heaven. Now, that's like a very, it's a caricatured way of saying that. But that storyline is not different than what many of us have heard. But I want to point out that that's not the story that Paul is telling at all. Paul, instead, he's reaching back into the story of his people, his community, into his scriptures. And he's remembering a time where God's people were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. If you know this story, at that time, Pharaoh was, was one of the worst human beings in the story of God so far. He had killed the babies, he had enslaved people, he was a truly terrible person. And the, the Israelite people, God's people, are underneath Pharaoh in Egypt, underneath his power. And so um, Paul is trying to say that just like the Israelite people were enslaved by, under Pharaoh, People now are also underneath, un, under the oppression of this present evil age, of this moment, of this dark power that still exists today. And, and I think by extension, Paul is trying to say that even if we lived, you know, um, 1,500 years or, or 3,500 years ago or whenever it was, that, that Israel was enslaved by Egypt, or if we lived in the time of the Roman Empire in Galatians, or if we live in Vancouver today, that there are things that stop us in this moment from being people of Shalom of being the humans that we were created to be, of being people that can live in a peaceable way with one another. And um, this may sound very weird to you, especially if you're an unchurched person. It might sound very far-fetched and fanciful, and, and I totally understand that. But one of the beautiful things that I'm finding in my life at this point in time, about thinking of this present evil age, is that I find if I don't have a vision of this, then what I do is I find other people to be evil. I place that idea of evil, of all the things that I think are wrong in the world on another person or a group of people. And so maybe for you, it's woke people. That's the problem with the world. Cancel culture, people on the left. Or for you, maybe you're more on the left and you find people on the right, those in the freedom convoys, those driving the trucks, those are the people who are the real problem in our world. And what we do is we demonize and we make those people the other. And and Paul is saying there is evil in each of us. There is sin. He uses that word, but the bigger issue here is this present evil age that holds us captive and colonizes us and anchors us. We can't escape it. And that's and that's the big next part is that we can't we don't just need a tweak or some advice to get out from under this present evil age, but we need to be rescued, Paul writes with that word. We can't just free ourselves. That's not how it works. Now, I don't want to take the time to try to make this this case So let me just give you a quick quote that I think helps us to understand this. And it's from people who are not Christians as far as I know, but they're somewhat modern prophets. It's the band Arcade Fire. They just released a new album this week, We, which is great, but I'm actually going to quote an older song called Reflector. And here's, just listen to how they characterize modern life. So here's a quote from the song, the first few lines. Trapped in a prism, in a prism of light, alone in the darkness, the darkness of white. They use this word that we're talking about here, that somehow we're trapped. And they characterize the place of trapping very interestingly, that we're trapped in the darkness of white, which is a paradox. And I think by that they mean, and I felt this way, that everything around us is bright and exciting. We feel this optimism and hope about the future and about our lives. We want to believe that we're creating a better world, but at the same time, we feel trapped and alone and in darkness. They continue, we fell in love, alone on a stage, in the reflective age. Again, a massive paradox of this moment that we want, we long for love and connection, but our world encourages us to platform ourselves as the center of the universe, to put ourselves on a stage where we find ourselves alone. And here's how uh, the chorus goes. They said, I thought I found a way to enter. I thought I found the connector, that they they thought they found a way to resolve these paradoxes. And, And here they're specifically singing about the hope of the internet. That they hoped that the internet would be able to solve all these problems and fix the paradoxes of of modern human life. So I thought I found a way to enter. I thought I found the connector. But it's just a reflector, they sing. They're saying that the, the internet just reflected and amplified the best about us as humans. And gave platform and voice to many who didn't have. But that it also reflected and amplified the worst of humanity. And we can say now, however 20 or 30 years that we are into this internet experiment, maybe just especially especially at this moment in time, that the internet has also alienated and polarized us much more than we were before. And so at the end of the song, they sing this, this couplet. They thought you would bring me to the Resurrector, but it turns out it would just it was just a reflector. They thought you would bring me to the Resurrector, that you would save me, but it turns out it was just a reflector. And... So Paul and Arcade Fire, they agree, and the Bible, they agree, that there are so many things in our world that promise freedom. But if the freedom, the promise of it, the promise for resurrection and hope come from within our world, they will never be able to free us, because they're stuck under this present age of darkness, this present evil age, as Paul says, that they can never be the resurrector, as the Arcade Fire say, because they're just a reflector. And so what... Paul is saying, and what the Bible is saying, is that what we need ultimately is not another reflector, but a a rescuer. And that's what Jesus offers to do. Now, how does he do this? Again, Paul goes back to his people's story for language to find out how Jesus rescues us. So in Egypt, when God rescues his people out of Egypt, in his most decisive act, God tells the people to take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doorposts. Now, this is a, a pretty bizarre uh, an archaic reference for us, and we, we find it gross, and I'm not saying that it isn't gross, but as it, it, for the, the people of the Israelite people, they use this as a, a beautiful remember a reminder of the way that God had rescued them. And if you were at our church or you listened to the recording of when we did a Passover Seder together, you'll remember that this was a, a practice where they remembered how God rescued his people from Israel. And as Jesus practiced this Passover with his disciples, he tells them that this blood, the wine that symbolizes the blood, is now his blood. That he will rescue his people from their sins. that Our sins are the things that give the present evil age its power. That's what you can think of it like chaining us to this present evil age. But Jesus' death on the cross breaks the chains. It frees us. And he invites us to live freely, to be rescued out of this oppressive, dark, evil age. By joining him in the dying and rising pattern, that brings us into a new kingdom and new life, and Paul will continually use the words "free," that will allow us to be free. Finally, Paul Paul says that all of this is done according to the will of God the Father, that this story, this desire to bless, uh, this desire to give grace and also to bring peace, has always been God's desire. We see this in Genesis 1 at the very beginning of the story of, of God's people that God creates a world and he creates people and then he gives them, he gifts them this world and he invites them to be part of building a world of shalom with him. And even though those people fail, a couple chapters later he meet, we meet this character named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And even though they don't have children, God says, I'm going to give you a gift of a child and I'm also going to put my presence in and amongst you, that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to gift you with my presence in order that you would be a blessing to the world, that you would extend this offer of peace to the rest of the world. And even though Abraham fails, God continues to offer this to the people of Israel. In the story that we just told, they come out from slavery in Egypt. And God says, "I, I free you. I gift you this grace of being my people in order that other nations can come and join in the praise of God. There's one of my favorite images in the Bible of is one that Israel is called to, where all the nations can bring their gifts. That's the picture of what Israel is supposed to do: that they're supposed to receive the gift of God, the grace of God, so that they can be brokers of peace. And Jesus carries on that story, even though everyone in in the story has failed so far. He is the gift of God, God come Himself, in order to bring shalom, to bring this peace and reinvite us into this story. Paul finishes this passage. By saying this, to him, to Jesus be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this word glory uh, in, in the Hebrew is linked to the word for heavy or weighty. That's the idea here, that we're to give God ultimate weight. He's supposed to be the heaviest thing in our lives. And he's supposed to be the most honored and majestic person at the center of our lives and our churches. Now for some of us, the story that I've just told is like Christianity 101. You're thinking, I've heard all of this before. You know, I grew up listening to the story of Israel uh, freed out of Egypt. I got it. But Paul also starts off Galatians this way. He's writing to people who have heard this story before. And I think he starts this way because, as he'll say later in the letter to the Galatians, we can, we can desert this core message of what following Jesus and being a church is all about. He'll say, you, you can start with the good news of Jesus, but you can leave it. You can put Jesus at the center, but then you can marginalize and sideline him pretty quickly. You can go back to our old patterns of living. And I think for many of us, you know, maybe we prayed a prayer at one point in our lives to follow Jesus. But if we're really honest, the main operating systems of our lives aren't running according to the Jesus story. And I say this again, not to just try to uh, guilt or shame you. Like This is us. This is me. well I recognize this tendency in my own life and I think for most of us the primary vision of the good life is to be an upper middle-class Canadian that's the dream and as Christians sometimes what we do is we keep that dream that's the main vehicle we just try to get there wearing Jesus t-shirts and listening to praise FM we just kind of put some Jesus coding on the side and he's not at the center and bounded said Christianity leads us to further on in this dream by focusing on things like theology that I understand that the word, you know, the Hebrew word for, for glory is kavod, is heaviness. And so I can do better on the Jesus test. Or we remind ourselves of these times that we, are, we found ourselves in the in-group. You know, when I was young, I was baptized. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Or, you know, I, I went through a rough time in university, but then when I came out, I got a sola deo gloria tattoo, which just means in Latin, you know, to God alone be the glory. And these are the things that become the markers of of how we know we're in. But later in the letter to the Galatians, Paul will say, you know what, that stuff is fine. But in the end, it means nothing. Do it or don't do it. It's not the most important thing. What matters for Paul is, is this question, is Jesus in the center? Are you in Christ? Is he the one that identifies your living and moving and being? Is this story the heaviest thing in your life? which is inviting you to become a new person. And is this sense of heaviness, this glory, uh, and, and Jesus being at the center, is its center—is it something that you're growing in? That's what Paul is saying forever and ever, that God is to be glorified forever and ever, that he is to become heavier and heavier and more central. So I ask you that question, where is Jesus not heavy, but he's light in your life right now? Where have other things taken up a space of heaviness? They're truly the things that are glorified in your life. And what are some practices that you might be able to engage in to put Jesus back in that space of glory? You know, for others of us, we're we're much less likely to be bounded set. We we take a much more fuzzy set approach to Jesus. And in many ways, I, I deeply empathize with you if that's where you're at. You know, I, I know so many people who have been hurt by bounded set churches and people. And I wrote in my notes that maybe there's even people in our church community that that that's happened to. But I, uh, I I raced maybe afterwards because I know that there are, I know that there's people who have been excluded, who have been shamed um, by people who thought they were keeping the boundary. And and maybe I'm one of those people. And if so, I, I apologize. And um, if if that's you, I, I ask you please get in touch with me. And um. I'd love to get the opportunity to listen to your story and apologize to you. But I understand this, that you've been excluded and you feel shamed. And I get that that doesn't feel good. And so you've learned that you're not going to find you know, acceptance, love, freedom, grace in a bounded set community. So you've moved to a fuzzy set. It's completely understandable, at least for me. But I think that Paul is also inviting us into a different way of being. And he's saying that these things that we deeply long for, you know, acceptance, grace, freedom, inclusion, love, like we're not going to find them in a fuzzy set either. Rather, as I've said before, that that will just find us in another way of being enslaved. We'll find ourselves enslaved to the present evil age in a new way. We'll, We'll be enslaved to creating ourselves again and again, to choosing and creating who we are and then performing that and looking for others to validate you all the time. I think of it this way, especially in light of the Reflector song by Arcade Fire. It's like you're running on a treadmill that's turned up to 12. And you're just in a room full of mirrors with lights and cameras all around you. And it's it's exhausting. It's an exhausting way of living, which is its own kind of hell. That's what the fuzzy set faith will create. And so Paul is saying Jesus offers a different way forward. It's not going back to bounded set. But it's also not fuzzy set. It's not just trying to hear the echoes of human voices. And to try to feel free that way. Rather, it's to receive grace. That's the word he used to this gift of grace. And for Paul, grace always comes from the outside. It has to come from outside our human experience. And that's where the story of Jesus becomes so important because he is a person who comes from outside of that story. He comes outside the ways that we've trapped ourselves and he walks into our story. And offers us the gift of freedom by taking on that alienation and the death that we so fear. And by doing so, he rescues us. And he pronounces as he rises all these words over us that we long for. Words of grace. Words of peace. Words of blessing. And offers us the ability to become who we're always made to be. And to be truly free. But the answer isn't by becoming fuzzy set but becoming by putting Jesus at the center and giving him the position also with the most weight in our lives so that we can see his life and hear his words of blessing over us when we're blown around by the storm of words that we face every day. And so that is the invitation to those of us who find ourselves in a fuzzy set place. I totally understand that you may have been hurt and that you find yourself rebelling against boundaries. It's natural. But the answer for Jesus isn't fuzzy set, but to, to re- be re-rooted into the Jesus story, to take that on and allow him to take a place of glory once again, to make him the heaviest one in your life. Let me close in prayer for us. God, we thank you so much for the invitation and that uh, grace is something you continue to offer to us again and again. So may we hear your offer of grace and of peace, and may we see that it comes in the person of Jesus. Help us to understand what it means to put him at the center. Free us from the ways that we're chained to the present darkness. And uh, we ask that we would give you the glory forever and evermore, that you may become heavier and heavier in each of our hearts. And in our church, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.